Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 206, recorded June 6th, 2015. So as promised, today we're doing the Star Trek Deep Space Nine Next Generation crossover that Wildstorm did, entitled Divided We Fall, issues one and two. Yes, interesting little four-parter, which had a bigger, I think, a bigger story in store for us than I expected. Right. These are some dense books, I think. Yeah. Uh, synopsizing them, uh, doing the synopsis, was um, kind of time-consuming. A lot of things were going on. And there's a bigger conspiracy going on, which I'm kind of enjoying as it right. unfolds. Right. And and it does what I love about when you have giant universes like this is that you can pick and choose pieces from the different franchises, the different stories, and kind of weave them into a new story where they all logically fit together. Right. It's and they good. do. Yeah. yeah. So this is po- this all takes place post both TV series. Um, Deep Space in the case of Deep Space Nine, it's kind of like that was it N Vector series, right? That we did uh, a while ago, a few episodes ago, um, talking about post TV sh- TV show uh, what happened for D- uh, Deep Space Nine world. So that's cool. Um, this one's a little different than what we had in Envector in, in some of the people, some of the characters, but um, some of it's interchangeable, virtually interchangeable. Uh, so that's cool. Right. So again, they're they're keeping the continuity from um, the pocketbooks. So they're really trying to keep one cohesive universe. Um, with the Deep Space Nine post TV series, so cool. Um, this fits in right after, you know, a couple of the books, um, and then the things in here do have effects into the novels later. So, it's, oh, it's, okay. It's just this beautiful little, uh, you know, uh, tapestry. Tapestry, yeah. If I may borrow a next gen title, but good stuff. Excellent. So, um, shall I just launch into it, or is there some business to discuss? Uh, no, no business. Let's just go ahead and get into it, I guess. Okay. Issue number one um, of Divided We Fall is titled Crossfire, and its published date is July 2001. The writers are David J. Ordover and David Mack, pencilers Andrew Curry, inkers David Roach and Richard Bennett, Colors by Wildstorm FX. Letterer, Gina Garcia. Editor, Jeff Marriott. The cover prominently features Esri Dax in the upper center with Dr. Bashir and a short-haired trail woman on each side of Esri. Picard is at the bottom holding a phaser rifle uh, with a, a kind of young-looking version of Colonel Kira Reese. She looks very, very very young, like an early 20-something or something. I'm not sure that that was their intent, but um, 
she just looks young to me. A tan spaceship is firing on a larger tan-colored ship. The conflict is being picked up by the Enterprise-E. They identify the ship being attacked as a Trill diplomatic ship. It's Ambassador Odin's ship. Riker, complete with cleanly shaven face, orders maximum warp and an intercept course. Captain Picard to the bridge. Meanwhile on Deep Space Nine, Esri Dax is in bed with her man, Dr. Julian Bashir. She can't sleep as she is troubled over something she stupidly said to Julian that triggered a conflict between them. No matter how many lifetimes you have lived, mistakes will be made in the ways of the heart. Meanwhile in space, the Enterprise arrives at the coordinates of the Trill ship attack near the third planet of a star system. They arrive in time to spot the diplomatic ship minutes from crash landing on the third planet. Picard assigns Riker to lead an away mission with Data, Dr. Crusher, and some support staff to search the crash site for survivors. So far, ship sensors are picking up no life signs. Picard orders specialized scans for any form of Trill life sign. The away team put on spacesuits since the planet is L-class. Riker wonders if Ambassador Odan still can still be alive and how Dr. Crusher will react to the news either way. They had an intimate relationship in the past and even Riker carried the Ambassador's symbiote for a time. As they make their way to and then into the broken hull of the ship, Beverly thinks about how she has not seen Odan in over ten years. When she put the surviving symbiote into a female Trill's body, their romance took an awkward turn. They parted not knowing what to say. Back on DS9, Esri receives a communication from an unknown source. Dr. Lenara Khan has been abducted from the Trill homeworld. If Esri wants to see her again, she will have to do exactly what the message says. Esri runs to Colonel Kira's office, thinking she, Jadzia, had not thought of Lenara since Jadzia married Worf. She arrives at Kira's office to find her and Rolaren. Esri tries to tell her of the communication, but before she can, Ro tells her exactly what was in the message. When the message came through encrypted with an expired Starfleet code, it was flagged for review immediately. The message demanded protomatter in exchange for Dr. Lenara. They talk about how they can get Esri with the protomatter to trill in time to save Lenara. Meanwhile, on the third planet, the away team finds Ambassador Odan cleverly hidden on board in an unjettisoned escape pod. She is injured, so they are beamed to sickbay. Meanwhile on Trill, Dr. Lenora Khan is gagged and tied to a chair by two of her captors. One of the rough-looking men say to the doctor that her lost love is on her way to you. Too bad, she'll probably arrive late. Meanwhile on the Defiant, Commander Vaughn is pulling out all the stops to get Esri to trill on time. He comments on how Esri's apparent lingering feelings for Dr. Khan is distressing Bashir. Bashir is on board also, and he and Esri have plenty of things to work through. 
On the Enterprise E, despite Dr. Crusher's best efforts, Odan's body has died. The symbiote is injured too, and Crusher is not sure it can survive the transition to another host. She and her team prepare to remove the symbiote. Picard gives the order to set course for Trill at Warp 9, in an effort to save the Ambassador. Geordi has no information on the attacking ship. It got away clean. Picard needs to speak to Odon, but the only way to do that is to put Deanna in the same liquid environment Crusher has put the symbiote into. Meanwhile, on the Defiant, Nog is taking on five kilos of fake protomatter to be used in exchange for Dr. Khan. On the Enterprise, Deanna attempts to communicate with the Odon symbiote, but it all goes wrong. She sees some thoughts, some memories, but is overwhelmed by them and has to break off the link. Later she regains consciousness and says she will be working on interpreting what she's seen to Will and Dr. Crusher. However, one thing Deanna does see in in the memory of Odon is Will's body sucking face with Dr. Crusher. Deanna leaves the room upset. She tries to explain, but Deanna says she needs to see the captain. Meanwhile on Trill, Esri is in heavy clothes walking through thick snow to the meeting location. Dr. Bashir and an, an, and an Endorian female crew member are watching from a distance when Esri comes upon a body part buried by snow. As Esri helps with what appears to be Dr. Khan, four men in white camo gear and armed with rifles close in from behind. Bashir calls for cover fire. They get it, which gives Esri the breathing room she needs to drag Dr. Khan behind a group of boulders. As Esri is desperately firing at her attackers, Captain Picard and Data on the Enterprise are receiving reports of other attacks on joint Trill all over the Federation. Data reports the only known survivors of the attack is Ambassador Odan. He goes on to report that Dr. Lenara Khan, a joint Trill scientist, has been abducted. Her abductors demand the ransom be delivered by another joint Trill, Starfleet Officer Esri Dax. They find out the Defiant is heading up the ransom payment operation. Picard orders his comms officer to hail them. Deanna arrives on the bridge and tells Picard she contacted Odon and found out what's going on. There is a fracture within Trill society. There are non-joined Trills who object to the automatic status afforded to Trills that join the symbi- with symbiotes. They occupy the highest posts of universities, in government, even the presidency. They believe the symbiotes are an alien species that came to Trill to conquer it by taking it over from the inside, literally. They call themselves the purists, and they appear to be simultaneously attacking all the joined Trills they can locate. Deanna says they need to get to Trill fast. On Trill, the Defiance transporters are being blocked. Bashir and his blue companion take fire and are knocked off their hill location and start falling. Bashir is able to get a phaser shot off to take out one of Ezri's attackers as he falls to an uncertain fate. Commander Vaughn finds out the closest point where the transporter jamming field loses its effects is 3.1 kilometers from the attack site, too far away in snowy conditions. He orders the Defiance two shuttles, the Chaffee and Sagan, to launch. 
Vaughn orders the security teams within to get his people back. Contact is made between the two mighty starships. Vaughn thanks Picard for the heads up on the joint trill attacks, but the attack on Esri and the rest of his away team has already begun. Picard says they have increased speed and will arrive at Trill in 16 minutes to render any aid they can. Vaughn thanks Picard, but he says he's afraid it'll all be over by then. Shuttles report ETA to target two minutes. Bashir and his blue companion land in a bank of snow, but luckily with no serious injuries. Esri's attackers, that are unconscious, are transporting away. How can that happen with the scattering field? They spot red flashing devices on their belts. Bashir runs to the last one in hopes of stopping him. Esri is hit in the back by one of the white-clad stormtroopers' phaser blasts. He grabs her and transports away. Bashir is too late to stop it, but the shuttles start landing behind him. Elsewhere, Esri materializes with her captors in a some kind of building. Or is it a cave? Stone walls, rough floor. A voice from Dax's past, not Esri's, says, Hello, Dax. She recognizes it as Varad, the man that took Dax from Jadzia, tore the symbiote right out of her. He knows Esri's name. He corrects her when she assumes he's after the symbiote. I am not interested in stealing the Dax symbiote. What would be the point? He dons his best supervillain voice and pose, saying soon all of the alien worms and all of you possessed by them will be dead. For the first time in a millennia, Trill will be free. <laughs> to be continued. For the record, he did not laugh. I just had to insert it, though. Because <laughs> he was definitely giving me the supervillain vibe. Right. Especially when he's standing there with that intense look on his face and his hand, his open hand in front of his face. Yeah, I just want to know how his hairstyle changed from the panel before where his hair is kind of like pushed down Uh on his forehead and Uh then the next panel where he's doing the hand thing. Ah. It's all kind of styled up. (laughs) Good point. I did not notice that. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I I love it when the villain has history, not necessarily history, but a good motivation for being what they are, and and maybe even thinking they're doing the right thing. And and I'm getting that out of the story that that he really thinks that, uh, or at least he's getting the people to really think that that he's doing this for their good. That that right. the unjoined are being, you know, subjugated to being a lesser class. When, when in their eyes they're the true trill and the symbiotes alien in force. Uh, very interesting story. Yeah, that's a good point, and I kind of like that. I kind of like the bigger conspiracy that's unfolding. But um, I get that vibe from this episode or this issue too. But when we get to the second issue, it's kind of um, I think. Well, let's we'll get to the next issue, but I think we lose that coolness of what you just mentioned in the second issue. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, th- let's talk about the next issue then. Okay. Um, okay. So Bashir has an Andorian crewman who's with him, who I guess is some some major character in those, uh, what, pocketbook novels or something? Right. Yeah. So I, I have no Char. idea who he is. What's his name? Shar. Okay, Shar. 
And did they actually mention his name in the book? Nope. Okay, okay. So he's established there as kind of like a, a right-hand guy to Bashir, so that's cool. But he doesn't do much. But quite frankly, when I first see him before Ezri's abduction, the face kind of looks female to me. And I originally thought it was a female Andorian. Um, but then afterward, and definitely in the second issue, it's a guy. I mean, it looks like a guy. Um, so I, I don't know if that's just me that got the impression from the face that it was a female and I'm off base, but it looks kind of like a, a lady to right. me, the way they drew drew him. But Right. At first I thought it was the um, the Andorian... Uh, security officer that was kind of taking over Odo's spot in the Invector storyline. Uh huh. I thought it was her, but but no. Uh, once once I saw her, or once I saw him again, and and saw what he was actually doing, that he was you know in the sciences, that uh, I realized it's supposed to be Shar. Okay. Okay. So um, interesting. So th- there's a lot of characters. I, I never read those books, um, so I have no idea about a lot of these characters. Um, another character I kind of like, if I may, is um, being an aging guy myself, I really enjoy seeing Commander Vaughn in charge of the Defiant. So that's great. I mean, so so frequently, unless you're an admiral, um, you see Starfleet personnel as being young, fit people. So um, Commander Vaughn is definitely not young. I would say he's at least in his 60s. Um, and all bearded and, and mostly white-haired, although there's some there's some streaks of black, too. Um, but that's great. I love that. I mean, I like that Picard's old, and I like that Vaughn is old, and that's great. <laughs> no, agreed. Uh, I, he, he's a good character. Right. And, of course, that's different from the person we saw, the lady we saw, in charge of the Defiant um, in the Envector series of, of comics. Right. So I wonder what happened to her in the books. I don't know. So who 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 came first? Was it Vaughn first and then got replaced by the lady? Uh the female um Starfleet officer? No. Or the, was it the other way around? I think it was the other way around cuz Vaughn's in it for a very long time. Okay. Yeah. So and what is Vaughn's backstory? Cuz I'm kind of I'm kind of inter- interested in this. Um, cuz he's pretty up there in age. But he's only a commander. Um, right. So did he start late in life with Starfleet? Or was he just not in any particular big hurry? Uh, or, or did he get what? bumped down or something? I don't know. Is it kind of like a, like a Riker thing? I mean, resisted the chair um, for whatever good reasons? Um, kind of interesting. Yeah, to be honest, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, I have read as many of those books as I wanted to. Right. Okay. See, it gives you something to go back and do some research on. <laughs> Crack open one of those books and give it a read. Yeah, yeah. Hmm, hmm. Isn't it funny? It's funny in your life when you start relating to the oldest guy in the book, in the story. Ugh. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, kind of like in The Simpsons. When, when that started, I was in you know, junior high. Mm-hmm. So I really related to Bart. Bart. You know, oh, this, this, this show's about Bart. You were the Simpsons. rebel? <laughs> no, oh, but okay. but I was a kid, and he was a kid, and to me the show was really about him. And then as oh, I got older, was. as I got older, I was like, oh no, the show's about Homer. 
Because <laughs> I'm a fat the... guy, and Homer's a fat guy. <laughs> so the show's always been about the fat guy. <laughs> and I like bacon. Oh, yeah. It's Homer. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Huh. Anyway. I never looked at it that way. Hmm. Right, because you were already old by the time the show came out. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> was it like uh, 27 years ago or something? Or 29 years ago? What, what are they on? Uh, well, it started in 89, so whatever that is. Okay, well. I wasn't that old in, eight, in 89. I was actually a rather young man. but <laughs> Okay. Anyways... Um... So I have a couple of questions about artistic choices. Yes. Let's hear them. So uh, first one, and so it's been at least 10 years since I saw the end of Deep Space Nine, so maybe it's explained there and I just don't recall it because it's not that significant, but what what happened to Kira's earrings? Because every time she's depicted in this story, she does not have the earring on. Hmm. So it's not on the cover and it's not in that conversation with her, Ro, and Esri. That's a very interesting point. I don't know. I do not know. All right. So and did then, she like uh, get rid of the earring when she became became top dog on the station? Not that I know of. Hmm. Hmm. I'm pretty sure I've seen you know covers of the post Nemesis novels and stuff where she's in there in her Starfleet uniform and she has the earring on. So I don't I don't think she got rid of it. Okay, okay. A good question, then. But she definitely does not have it in this book, so I'm wondering if it's uh, artistic choice or if it was uh, if it had some storyline that she questioning her faith or something at this point in her life. Hmm. I don't know. Interesting. Don't it's got to be on purpose. I mean, she had that, like, forever. Right. On the show. Right, and it could be a storyline that's going on in the books that, you know, this is following that continuity and maybe right. she brings it back anyways and then my other question is uh, Odin, the female Odin um, form mm-hmm. I forgot her name uh, she has the, the dots and stuff that we're used to seeing on Trills but in that episode Trills were depicted as having these like uh, weird facial features and no spots so Oh, uh, so she, she went, okay. She underwent a uh, transformation. Ha. So that episode um, was where they introduced Trills, that next gen episode. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So maybe they just changed their design over time. Well, originally Dax was supposed to have that same forehead apparatus on her face, but they. They nixed it before the, they actually started filming the show. Uh, Dax? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Dax. Yeah. Dax right. right, right, right. So huh. then they went to the spots. So this picture, the woman had the spots and not the, the facial structures. Right. Well, yeah. <clears throat> so the first time, you know, sometimes they refine uh, the alien designs over time. I mean, look at Klingons. Right. Um, and even the first time we see Ferengis, they changed a little bit when they became uh, a regular inst- uh, part of DS9, um, like in minor kind of ways. But the makeup got better, uh, the prosthetics and things. So yeah, there's some there is precedent for change over time. 
but right, yeah. I mean, I was really chalking it up to Romulans and Klingons because I mean, Romulans used to look just like humans, and then all of a sudden they had these pronounced foreheads and stuff like that. You know, kind of subtle, and more Klingons. subtle than the Klingons. Same thing, Klingons. Yeah. More more subtle than the Klingons. Klingons is really out there. That they, yes, that they was changed. a big change. That was but, a big change. Uh, the Romulans did too. But yes. anyways, this was this was a you know I'm just saying it's there. Well, but it was the same decision, wasn't it? The the, the artist had to say, okay, the first time we saw her, she looked like A. And now all trills look like B. <laughs> right. Do we retcon it or do we try to stick with the original look? Uh, and it's like it, that didn't make any sense. So, you know, so they must have made the right decision. Right. I mean, I, yeah. But good point. Good point. Speaking of uh, trills and stuff, at the end when uh, Ver- Verad is and and Ezri is talking are talking about the whole thing about oh. She ripped, or he ripped um, Dax out of uh, Jadzia. And it's like, what? What are you talking about? I gotta find out what this is about. I never saw that episode. So I did a little research, and um, it turns out the episode was named Invasive Procedures. You probably know. Or maybe you don't know the name of it, but I know you saw it because you're a Deep Space Nine fan. Um, But it's like, oh, that guy's really a jerk. So he wanted to have a symbiote so much and he was turned down for it uh, through the normal channels that he engineered taking over Deep Space Nine when it was minimally staffed because of some kind of ion storm or something and he took the Dax symbiote symbiote out of Jadzia and put it into himself wow, that is what a jerk Um, and then of course the actor who plays him, John Glover Often plays a jerk, so you know, great ty- typecasting. So uh, anyway, I, I had to, I had to uh, catch up on all that stuff. Uh, so thanks, Memory Alpha. <laughs> I had forgotten that it was uh, John Glover. Yeah, that's funny. Yes, a man, a man who is who is so good at playing a jerk, he is normally typecast as that. Right. So most people probably remember him as being uh, you know his most famous role by far is the voice of the Riddler in Batman the Animated Series right <laughs> I had no idea really yeah okay oh you probably remember him from his uh, little fake commercial in Robocop 2 where it fries the the person that's trying to steal the car oh my god you've looked up all these things no no, no I, I, just remember. I, I remember I remember him from a bunch of TV shows where he pops up every once in a while as the jerk uh, you know kind of like that guy that played uh, what Dick um, whatever in Robocop Dick Jones uh, Dick Jones yeah so right so what, what Cox Ronnie Cox yeah he he plays good guys too but he often plays a jerk so there's just certain actors that get typecast. Uh, what Michael Ironsides? Right. He's usually the bad guy. Well, he's more of the bad guy than the jerk. He's just bad, you know. But well, I was joking, of course, because because his most famous role would be Lionel Luthor from Smallville. <laughs> oh, okay. So John he's... Glover. Well, yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, so he is Lex Luthor's father. Yeah. All oh, ten years, cool. baby. Cool. Okay. Well, there you go. 
Anyway, so again, he plays an even evil villain's uh, father. But was he an even evil kind of person too in Smallville? Uh, yeah, he was Lex Luthor's father. Well, I, you know, it could be a good father and then a bad son. You know, that could have happened, but I didn't know. Oh, yeah. Because I really have only seen a, like maybe two episodes of Smallville, unfortunately. Ah, uh, well, it's a good show. Yeah, so yeah, well, you've told me. Cool. Anyway, so that's what that's that's who played who brought our Varad to uh, existence. That actor. Right. So I just want to throw this out there as far as Odin's female character goes. Uh, forgot, forgot. I keep forgetting her name. But if you remember, she was in one of the Deep Space Nine. I'm sorry, Next Generation annuals that D, that DC Comics did. Oh, hmm. okay. Kind of, and she did have the ridges on her head. So even after trills were established as being dotted, ridgeless, she still had ridges. Ah, huh. interesting. Yeah. So remember that choices. one where Crusher and she teamed back up. It's been a while. Yeah, I, I kind of remember a little bit of that. Because I definitely remember that that storyline. I remembered that original Next Gen episode, and I remembered it. she did come up, and then that whole big thing. Oh, my God, now a chick. Can't, can't go with that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so here it is again. And by the she, way. She obviously regrets that choice. Well, the she whole... regrets... Well, I think she regrets what the whole not going with the chick, even though the guy you love is yeah, now a chick. She couldn't get over the the gender spot. Well, I think she regrets it, but then again, I don't think she. Hmm. I mean, you can have regret and still not want to do it differently, if that makes any sense. Sure. If you had it to do it over again, but. So I... she has regret, but do you think if she went back that she would just make a different choice? I don't know. And this is totally theoretical. We have no idea. They're they're all written characters. And but they're all dead. She's dead now, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. Okay. So I got a theory at the end of the next episode, the next issue, and you, I, you know, it's so obvious. I'm sure you may have come to the same conclusion, but I have a theory on that whole area. But we'll oh, save it for the next issue. I look forward to it. Oh yes. So um, speaking of Doctor Crusher and stuff, I. As much as humanly possible, I completely skipped that whole jazz about uh, Troy being jealous jealous about Riker and Crusher in that scene when Odon was inside of Riker, and oh, it was so confusing, but it was like, ah, you get to see Riker and uh, Crusher kiss. Okay. <laughs> and so uh, I skipped a lot of it, but basically they make a big, huge stinking deal in the next two issues. Troy does anyway. About that whole thing is like, does he secretly love Dr. Crusher? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Don't care. Switch off. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Two things are wrong with that. One, she knew that it happened and it, yeah. it shouldn't be a surprise. And two, I mean, it's not like they've all been... I mean, she's had plenty of guy friends, and he's. This is not the only tryst he's had. So. Oh, exactly. Uh, and at the time that they that this happened, you know, uh, between Crusher and uh, and Riker, 
they weren't even romantic. They were just friends. No. And they actually say that in in this issue or the next issue. I don't remember which one. But, um, yeah, ridiculous. Ridiculous. Right. So, I mean, if if her... I mean, maybe it is a little different when you're having to relive someone's memories and now you're, you're there. Mm-hmm. You're the person that's, you know, uh, being very intimate with the person you're now with. As opposed to just knowing about it, it's another thing to be there when it was happening kind of right. thing. Right, and kind of experiencing it. Right. So I get that she would be a little weirded out, but yeah, I think maybe they take it a little too far. Yeah. Yeah, kind of ridiculous. Because you don't see Riker acting all weird when he has to team up with the Wharf in the movies, and that would be all after uh, they're together and, exactly. and she and Worf had her thing. Big, big time. I don't know, but maybe that would have made an interesting little cutscene at the wedding there on Nemesis. <laughs> Some little comment about uh, everything. Yeah, like Worf, like Worf going, getting ready to raise his hand. Uh, 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 oh, I better not. Maybe I should. No, better not. No. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah. Okay. So in in that movie, I did like how Worf was kind of being depicted as being drunk and. At the wedding, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, that kind of is a little sense. sad because one, you know, yes, he and Deanna were together. They broke up for some unknown reason. Mm-hmm. He got married to Jadzia. Yes, she's now dead. Yes, <laughs> he can't. He and, can't and, get and, with Esri. So yeah, he would be at that moment not in the right place to be happy at a wedding. Yeah. Plus, plus the um, the mother of. Alexander is dead, so he's he's had a lot of problems with love, unfortunately. Exactly. So you can see why he might be a little blue at the wedding. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I, I okay. So this is kind of a minor thing, but I kind of like the uh, foul weather gear they're using, um, Bashir and Ezri and stuff. Right. Although it's interesting that the, I I don't see any Starfleet insignia on it. I mean, it almost looks like a civilian kind of outfit. So it could be I didn't. Could be the issue. Ah, it could be. Yeah. Okay. So what you're saying is they didn't. The Defiant didn't have any foul weather gear on board, so <laughs> they were able to get something from their allies, the uh, the Bajorans. Yeah, it doesn't okay. really make sense. But if you do, they have or, any insignias on the space gear that Crusher's wearing at the beginning, and what they wear in First Contact and stuff like that. Well, in the spacesuits. Yeah. Oh, probably. I, I don't although, think I ever remember frankly, seeing a that's big an interesting point. Emblem but, on there. But maybe. come on, every okay, every Heck, even Kirk's just Kirk's about really bulky outfit in Star Trek: The Motion Picture didn't have any insignia on there. Oh, I'm sure it did. The one with the handle. I'm sure that it had Starfleet things on there. And let's take a look at 90%, because we've seen 15 jillion different spacesuits, and especially in the um, the reboot comics, they got they, they use uh, semi-space suits or battle gear all the time, and they've right. got like red and blue and things inserted on there as well as uh, you know the swoosh kind of thing. Right. So that in my opinion, is the rule that there's usually something on there that says at least Starfleet. If not, trying to say at least, uh, you know, 
you know, you're in engineering or you're in you know, support or you're in command, blah, blah, blah. Um, but these don't have anything, which is interesting. Um, okay, so I'm, I'm quickly looking at the spacesuits. Uh, and I'm just scanning, and I don't see any... And by the way, I do like those spacesuits. Right. Yeah, th- those were pretty cool in uh, First Contact, and they use them well here. And they, they pretty much look like what they had in First Contact. Um, although the helmet on the top seems to have like more windows... Which is kind of interesting, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so you got the front face plate, but then there's also windows like... like on the, the very top. On the very top, which I don't remember that in First Contact, but it's maybe I just never saw. Up. Well, I figured that, but yes, that's what they had it for, uh, I suppose. But I never, I didn't notice that in First Contact, but maybe you just never had the right angle. Uh, right. I don't know. Anyway, so the bottom line is... Um, I, I thought that was odd that that gear didn't have anything that said Starfleet. Uh, and then I was thinking, well, are they supposed to be like kind of undercover or something as they're making this trade with with the bad guys? And it's like, well, what's the point of that? They know who Ezri is, is Starfleet. Right. Anyway. Well, I'm going to uh, say you can't judge 30 years worth of comic books off of something that's been newly established. Well, I'm just saying. I'm not saying just reboot. I'm saying in the regular ones. I, I think I, I I state that as a general rule, when they're wearing um, heavy coats <laughs> or spacesuits, it tends to have some kind of insignia somewhere that says at least Starfleet. And these don't. Right. It well, was unusual. I wasn't expecting. I think there was episodes of Deep Space Nine where they wore these kind of suits, and and I don't remember any insignia being on there. Okay. Then perhaps it's not unusual at all. But but in the episode that's really jumping out at me was an episode where Odo and Quark get uh, stranded on this ice planet, and they have to kind of help each other survive. Yet they're yeah. bickering and. They hate each other so much, and I and they were wearing similar suits in my memory, but but they're not technically Starfleet, so maybe no, that's not. why they weren't. So, oh, oh, Odo, wear, Odo still wears the Bajoran thing, right? Right. The Bajoran well, outfit. He he's just a liquid. Well, in the show, <laughs> in the show, I do hate that. You know, he's not in this. That we won't see Odo. We won't see well, Cisco. Yeah, exactly. Well, what did I say uh, last week when we t- were talking about this episode? It was like you said they would decision. be there. Well, come on. You, ca- you can't have a crossover without Cisco. Come on, but they do. So, you know, and without Odo, you know, two of the strongest characters. Yeah, they're doing it. They're doing it. Well, we get Vaughn and Char, so it's, it's it's a wash. Right, and we also get. Bashir stepping up a bit more into being, at least in this, he's acting like more the leading man. Um, you know, firing phasers as he falls to his death, perhaps, for his lady love. So, um, he, he seems to be more of an action guy. Right. Though still a doctor. So when I first was reading about him being promoted in the back of the comic, and then thinking about the um, the first issue, I didn't remember him seeing him doing doctor things. Um, it's like, well, what is he not a doctor anymore? Is he like in command now or something? But then I went back and looked again, and no, he's got he's got a blue blue turtleneck on, and right. and in the second issue, he's actually doing medical stuff. So it's like, okay, he's just been promoted, but he's still a doctor. Okay, 
Right. Well, Crusher got promoted all the way up to full commander, so. But I do agree with you. Yeah. McCoy, they never mentioned what his rank was. Right. But they did with with Crusher and everybody right. after that. Yeah, and that was cool that Crusher actually had uh, captain duties in some episodes and did a fine job at it. Yep. Okay. All right, so, so uh, lastly, uh, what would you think about the pool scene with uh, where it was showing Troy maybe naked? I don't know. Uh when she was having the visions in the water and, and talking to the symbiote. Yeah. Well, she had like a t-shirt or something when he, she went into the water. But she right. definitely looked naked. I think, number one, at this point in in the TV... In, I mean, not the TV. At this point in the show and stuff, she did not look that good with her clothes off. I do not think so. So that's number one. Um, well... Yeah, I, I I thought it was a little anticlimactic because you didn't really see that much. I mean, there were a few visions and things, and then it was like pain. You know, she goes the pain thing, and then she was out of the water, and it's like whatever. Right. Well, and that was the part that I wanted to talk about. Okay. Uh, I mean, the only visions it shows is the original Odin and Troy. I mean, a uh, Crusher kind of holding right. each other. Right. Um, I'm assuming it's the woman one and uh, the. Uh, John Glover character. What's his name again? Kalen? Kalor? Verdan? Verdan? Yeah. Kalen? That's his last name. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. So, why would... Why would... Odan know about him? I mean, does he know about this whole... I guess he... he, She does know after this about the whole... Conspiracy, right? That's how she finds out that he. That's she. Fi- yeah, she finds out about all this stuff from the the, the semi mind meld with Odon, right? Okay. But you never see any indication of that in the little naked Troy pages. Right. Well, you no. don't even know. Yeah, you don't even get that she's really communicating to him. I mean, she yeah. does say well, you... stop, please. There towards the end, that he's like giving her something, but. It's too much. Too much. Yeah. Yeah, I right. agree. So I, I thought that but... part was a little confusing, and it, maybe it was just put in there for an excuse to have a uh, semi-naked person floating around in a pool of water. <laughs> well, I thought the whole thing was kind of BS that, oh, by going in the water, you can magically do a do what Spock always did. You know, get, you right. know, get, the, get the information out of something that can't talk to you for whatever reason. Whether it be a hoarder or whatever. Um... I, you know, it's like they were going, oh, gosh, it sure would be good if there was a Vulcan we could use for this. It's like, oh, we don't have one. Oh, hey, how about if we just put Troy in the water? All right, there you go. <laughs> People will buy it. Yeah, and they did. Yeah, yeah. All right, anything else? Um, not on that one. All right, well, then we'll move on to issue number two. Came out August of 2001, entitled Divided We Fall... Chapter 2, No Quarter. Uh, everyone's pretty much the same as last issue, but there's a few differences. The writer is John J. Ordover and David Mack. Uh, pencilers were Andrew Curry, Michael Collins. Inkers, David Roach, Richard Bennett, and John Nyberg. Letterer, Gina Garcia. Colorist, Wildstorm FX. And editor is Jeff Marriott. So the cover shows 
Barad Kalin holding a phaser up to Ezri Dax's temple. And behind this, we see depictions of Picard and Bashir. So the story starts on the Defiant. Bashir has been able to slowly revive Lenara Khan from her frozen state. He is worried about the missing Ezri, but tries to be professional about his other duties to the crew. On the bridge, Commander Vaughn and Captain Picard discuss next steps. Vaughn suggests that his science team of Nog and Shar work with Picard's team of Data and Geordi to find a way to track the transporter signals that whisked the attackers away, along with Ezri in the last issue. Back on Trill, Virad Kalin has Ezri hooked up to a giant organic-looking machine of some sort. He tells her that she can either work with him and he will make the pain quick, or she can resist and he will cause her to suffer. On the Enterprise, the Deep Space Nine and Enterprise Science Conference pays off. The two groups think that they can track the transporter sources. It will just take a little bit of time. During this time, Crusher and Deanna talk about Deanna's visions, both bringing up feelings from the Will-Odan-Crusher relationship, but understanding that it does not affect their current relationship with the commander. On Trill, Barad is informed that the Odin symbiont has survived and is on his way to the homeworld. Barad kills the messenger. The shuttle ferrying Odan, Crusher, and Deanna makes landfall on Trill and is being watched very closely by Varan's terrorists. Varad is about to kill Ezri with a phaser to the temple when Ezri is able to perform a great jump kick and she escapes all the while having her arms tied behind her. As she's making her way out, newly appointed Captain Riker leads an assault team and a huge firefight ensues. The terrorists are taken down except for Varad, who has managed to escape. Riker, now a commander again, orders the wounded to be taken care of and try to track the whereabouts of Varad. In the Trill Cave... Crusher is dropping the Odan symbiont into the water when the two terrorists that watch them arrive start their attack. The Starfleet crew is pinned down, and there is a transporter jammer in place. They devise a plan to concentrate fire at the cliff where the attackers are to give Deanna time to track and go up behind them. The plan is set, and Deanna is on her way. Meanwhile in the pool, the Odan symbiont thinks to itself that it needs to tell them the truth, and that there is no time. All the while, we see a countdown on a bomb ticking away. To be continued. Such excitement! That's a heck of a commando uh, attack, isn't it? It, it was. It was. <laughs> it, it, it was. It was. Yes. So, um, <clears throat> you know, big, uh, big thing. It's Starfleet, and uh, you know they come bashing in, and we got Nog horizontal and firing <laughs> phasers at people, and uh, and you know Riker like backhanding uh, some people as he's got his rifle in his other hand, and it's like, oh my God, everybody is just uh, so kinetic. I mean, the the writing 
is like uh, the drawing rather is just very very amazingly gets a great sense of just motion and these guys are moving fast and they're kicking butt and look out right it was just a little confusing to know for sure that that was Riker I completely agree I read through almost the whole that whole attack thing, and I was saying, "Who's this guy? Who's this guy who's drawn to be Joe Studley, good-looking guy or something? He just must be some security officer or something." And then as I keep on going, it's like, "Oh, that's supposed to be Riker." Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, and it really confused me that during the first the first scene where they show up and he's ordering Alpha Team, left flank. He has four pips, so he's a captain. Yeah. So I'm like, who's this guy? Is captain? that what you were on about? Yeah. Who, who's Is that this what captain? you were on Where about? Sh- who's this guy? Right. And then later it shows him with three pips, and it's a, a better picture, and it looks like Jonathan Frakes. And I'm like, oh, no, that's supposed to be Commander Riker. But I left in the, the, the captain pit in the synopsis because I think it's funny. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, they're taking down like two or three people per shot. You know, there's a shot where Bashir, who also is hard to figure out who he was because he looks like a Superman kind of with this this chiseled physique. Uh-huh. But he's like firing his hand phaser and two or three uh, terrorists are going down. So Yeah, well, multiple parts in the series so far. Right, or uh, Bashir is presented as uh, action guy, action hero guy. Which, considering he has the genetic whatever going on, it's like, well, yeah, he should be able to do stuff, you know, like that. But he right. was never depicted. He was pretty much never depicted that way in the uh, TV series. Nope. Yeah, he was just the kind of goofy guy, you know, you know, not that great in love and whatever, and a little awkward, but you know, really good doctor and everything. Because so, he was uh, having a downplay, kind of on the way Superman and Chris um, Clark Kent. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. I I get it. Um, so I guess every yeah. So now everybody knows he's genetically enhanced, right? Right. Okay. Right. They didn't keep that a secret amongst themselves. Okay. Right. So um, yeah. So it definitely as he's falling from the high cliff and firing, uh, and still able to hit somebody. That's pretty impressive. Um, but right. almost <laughs> as impressive as Nav going horizontal and. And shooting somebody point blank with a phaser. Right. That looks a little ridiculous, quite frankly, but... <laughs> it's very action-packed. I liked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very action-packed. Yeah, the, the only, like I said, the only thing I had, was confused about was who's who, because it did not look like Bashir, and it did not look like Riker, Riker. half yeah, the time. I agree, so I agree with that. A lot of times I was confused. And I didn't really care for how they were... Like one panel would be in the Varan's headquarters, mm-hmm. and then the next panel would be in the cave with Troy and yeah, Deanna. right? And then the next panel, I mean, and it it was inconsistent. So I mean, there would be like one panel, then two panels at the other place, three panels yeah. at the back at the other place. Oh, they, yeah, they were flipping it, back and forth very fast. So while you're reading it, you're like, oh wait a minute, are they are they in the same place? No, they're not. They're not. Yeah. Well, yeah, it didn't help that they're similar, like, to your point. So the locations are similar, and they're switching back and forth extremely frequently. Um, yeah, it's a little... It takes a little little more effort to keep keep straight what's going on. Right, and it doesn't help that 
you know, there's the terrorists that are watching Deanna and Troy, and then the next panel is the terrorists that are in the headquarters fighting Riker and 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 their team. So it was just right. like. And I think the writers are more novelists, so you know this would work better in a novel where you could have you know the page break or the you know the where they put in a couple of lines, the empty lines to kind of denote that we're changing locations. Mm-hmm. But in a comic book, you know, you go from panel to panel, and it's it's kind of tough to right not merge those into the same scene. Right. Yep. So. On a different topic, did you notice how uh, Ezri looks like she turns a little bit into Mr. Fantastic in a panel? What? Oh yeah, uh, with her oh, yeah. jumping. No, no. And by the way, she is she is amazingly um, athletic. I don't remember her being this athletic in the TV show, but maybe she just had, didn't have the opportunity to display it. Right, so she, um, just real quick, in that jumping scene, just to point out how athletic she is, she's on her knees, hands behind her back. Yeah. Phaser to her temple. Yeah. And when he hits the firing stud, she's able to leap. She has to be higher than where her head was when she was sitting on the ground. Yeah. So she's now completely cleared that distance. The phaser misses her, and then she spins around in a round kick and kicks him. Yes. All from being yes. on the ground on her knees. Yes. Amazing. Yes. And I that's not the last time she does an amazing thing like that. She's able to move her head out of the way of a, a phaser blast later, too. Right, so, so she's just amazing. Wh- she's where amazing. is this uh, Mr. Fantastic scene? Okay, it's on page five of the PDF. And oh. it is a... It is a <laughs> okay, so you see it, top left? <laughs> <laughs> Her next too long is the bottom line. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now they've drawn her with a with a very thin body and a thin neck, and but I think her proportions are right in most of the other panels, but in this one, her neck's way too long. Maybe the uh, and and this is bad because the artist is doing a good job. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, with the spots, you're thinking eh, giraffes have spots. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm and... really long, okay? <laughs> uh, that's yeah. Un- that's unfair, but yeah, funny about that. Uh, and and there's another panel just down from it that her neck's a little long, but but that particular first one, the upper left hand corner of the page, <laughs> her neck pr- is not correct. The proportions are not correct. But right. Yeah, and and like I said, I did not remember John Glover being Morand in the in this show. Uh-huh. But now that I'm looking at these panels, um, you kind of see it. I see it. Yeah. I did not see it when I was reading it the first time. I was reading it going, "Oh yeah, I remember that guy." Yeah. Um, but I didn't remember John Glover, Lionel Luthor being. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's the thing. You see people earlier in their, their career and you saw the movie, you know you saw the movie. But it's like, then they become famous later, and it's like, you totally don't remember they were in that movie, because you haven't made that, you didn't make that mental model connection before. Anyway. Right. So, speaking of Verad again, um, in this issue, he exposes himself as crazy, and a nutcase, and a real 
douchebag and gosh um like you you mentioned it uh the guy the the bear of the bad news right after the guy tells him his own people his own guy tells him about you know starfleet's doing blah 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 um he goes and says, okay, we got to do this then. And by the way, I hate bad news. And he shoots the guy. It's like, what? Wait a minute. Right. <laughs> okay, so you kind of seemed like super villain bad guy at the end of the first issue when we first find out who you are. But now you've definitely graduated to, you know, one-dimensional super villain status. Right. Who's crazy? So <laughs> in the first one, it was kind of interesting to your point. Uh, he, you know, he had a lot of motivations and a lot of history for what he was doing. Um, not that he was justified by any means, but at least you ha- you had an idea about it. And in this one, he's kind of gone into a one-dimensional arch supervillain mode, which right. I didn't enjoy as much. No, I agree with you. Uh, after the first one, you could see how all these people are following him because he sounds. He sounds like he's doing it for the right reasons. Right. He, he's so made a revelation. Start, yeah, once you just start shooting your own people, uh, I exactly. don't see how he would be able to maintain the loyalty. Exactly. It's like, hello? What, why would people follow him? I mean, it's not like it's a gang of criminals. Right. I mean, now, there might be some criminal element within his organization. I mean, they certainly seem to be willing to kill people. But for the most part, I think, they're like kind of normal disenchanted trill. So, right. why would you follow somebody who would potentially kill you if you bring him bad news? Ah, you know, I don't know. Right. Anyway, so that it it took me a little bit. It made it less realistic and more, you know, just action. You know, pulpy. I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Right. <clears throat> the one part of the the story that I didn't really care for that I thought. I mean, maybe they're going to do something with it later, but if so, I kind of don't want them to. Mm-hmm. Um, is while they're taking the the trill symbiote in the little nutrient Bingo. bath to Bingo. the to the pole, she's like looking at this young trill, Bingo. going, "And he reminds me of Jack, uh-huh. my ex, my dead husband from twenty years ago." Exactly. And I'm just like, "What? Where is this coming from?" Yeah, yeah, and and guess who's going to need a body when all this is over? Hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. Don, perhaps? Yeah, and if so, that's going to be a well, that's convenient. That Isn't it? The guy you had the hots for is now going to be... And now he's going to have Odon. And so right. instead of having a female body, which you're not as much into, because you're a little more traditional, uh, now you're going to have a young guy that looks like your dead ex-husband with Odon inside. It's like, perfect! Perfect, bingo! Trifecta! But... Will she leave Starfleet for him? Of course not, because she's destined to be with Picard. If they if they do go that route, yeah, by putting the trill into him, which which I'm thinking they probably will. Yeah. I hope that they have a little meeting, and then he's like, mm, "No thanks, I don't like older women." And then he turns around and walks off. But because he's a joined trill, I mean, with the uh, with Odon, it's like I think Odon's personality will have something to say about that. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, well maybe, maybe Odon says, "Hey, if you didn't love me enough to be with a chick, I'm sorry. Maybe you're not the woman for me." Well, maybe this guy's gay, and then when when he becomes <laughs> the trill, Crusher's like, "Oh, we could be together now." And he's like, mm, "I like dudes." Yeah, and but you know that Riker guy. Could you introduce us? 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I just... I thought that was really out of nowhere, just her. It was out of nowhere, and if we both came to the same conclusion, I guess it must be a little obvious. But, right. Anyway. I mean, if we picked up on it, geez, how obvious can it be? So my last qu- question is, what was Varan doing to Jed, uh, Esri in the beetle-looking contraption thing? I-, I was never clear as to what he was doing. Torturing well, he, her? But then he's like, if you work with me, it'll be quick. Yeah. What, but working with her to do what? Well, it sounds like he's trying to get information from really more um, Dax than her. But what's that information? They never say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I and, and maybe I really missed something. In the, no, you didn't. And not yeah. only that, supposedly she cooperated. Right. It did seem so, like. So. So what? Did, okay. So how did she cooperate? And it's like it's like. Uh, maybe the Dax symbiote uh, admitted that yes, they're an alien race, and uh, we've been screwing with you guys the whole time. <laughs> but for the best of reasons. Right. Together we have achieved so much. Anyway, I, I don't know. Well, if if you're a nutcase like this, that would that would seem to be what you'd want to know, right? Proof that you of your of the worm's ill intent. Right. If that's really what he believes, but but since he wanted the trill so bad in the episode, yeah. You know, I still kind of wonder if this is his whole. You know, his whole movement is really him just trying to get followers and not what he really truly believes. But I don't know yet. Well, or or is it just basically... Okay, so is it just sour grapes? He couldn't have his own symbiote of his own? Kind of like a kid who wants a dog pet? Uh, and he's like, well, if I can't have it, no one will have it. And then, or does he really believe this thing? Or, uh, column C, is he just playing crazy? Bat, bat poop crazy. Right. So... You don't know what his motivations are. I mean, I think, well, obviously, okay, so obviously his motivation is to kill all the uh, symbiotes. Right. So right. We, we know that by the end of the episode, uh, the end of this issue. So. But he's then, really bad at doing it because so far <laughs> none of them have died. Well, okay, hold on. They, I'm sorry, they, they didn't no. deactivate, uh, did they deactivate the bomb? No, that's, that's part of the, the cliffhanger. Right. Yeah. So they don't know. You don't know yet. Right. And they. Yeah. But but they hold did on a say second. there was other attacks was... before these three that that have had fatalities. Yeah. But but these three, you know the one the crash. Okay, well, they, I could see that they the keep crash... killing the trill. They keep killing the trill, but not the symbiote. Right. Well, I mean the the earlier ones, the one that Vaughn was telling Picard about, they said that. Uh, Odon is the first one that survived the uh, the attempt on their life or whatever. So that okay, I can about. see how that one was. That one went a little awry because they didn't know that he was locked up in the bathroom or wherever it was that, right. that protected <laughs> him from the crash. But uh, I think but it was an escape pod. The woman that that Ezri's trying to protect, mm-hmm. you know, she. There's no reason why she could she should be alive. Why didn't they kill her before they drug her drug her out there if their goal is to really kill them all. Well, they used her as bait. When Ezri ran up there, she didn't know if she was dead or not. 
Well, so I know. I, I but she that, had to find out. Yeah, but they caught her. They they started shooting her and captured her before she even found out. So, well, yeah, if, her, you if she had you a dead body had... out there or the live body, almost dead, it would have accomplished the same goal. Yeah, but why should they care? I mean, they just wanted bait. But they want to kill all the the trills, so oh, they should okay. they should have killed her. Well, okay, if so they should really have killed her, but I'm sure they probably thought, she's almost dead now, we're going to throw her out in the uh, snow, she's going to die of exposure. Right. So, uh, yeah, maybe it could be a James Bond supervillain thing where, like, uh, you do, instead of putting, a, you know, popping a cap in their head, you put them into a ridiculous trap situation where you think they're going to die. But, right. um, well, whatever. I mean, it, I think she was almost dead. Um, right. I'm just saying he's not a very good at killing them. <laughs> well, he killed uh, the host of Odan. Yeah, who cares about the host? They're dispensed. They're disposable. They're disposable, anyways. Right. So the good thing is, Ezri and Dax survived. So there you go. Yeah, that's the important thing. Because those are the ones we really care about. Because we know them. This Odan guy, we just saw him like pop up twice. Once in an episode, and then once in the uh, in a comic book. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I I find it a little humorous how Virad keeps on uh, putting up his open but still somehow clenched hand every time he goes into a serious uh, evil guy mode. Oh, really? So at the end of the first issue, he's ah, he's got that hand up there, ah, and then uh, he does it again in the second issue. So I just find it very funny. I didn't notice it in the second that. issue. Yeah. Yeah, so he does that a lot. So, it's, again, adding to the cardboard, uh, single-dimensional villain that he has turned into. Right. What'd you think of how his holster on his uh, unitard... Oh, holster? His unitard? Yeah, it doesn't look like a very secure holster. No, it's horrible. It's just a little snap that's been sewn into his unitard, and Mm. that he... It's, it's like a loop the phaser of through. a loop of a loop of fabric or something, yeah. With a little golden snap to keep it together. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't. It's almost like a pirate thing. So that that guy that he shoots should have known. He's like, you know, even though uh, Varan's back was to him, he's like, "Hey, uh, Varan, did you just undo that snap?" <laughs> I just heard something. What could that be? Uh. All right, so w- one last thing, and this is just me uh, spitballing, um, uh-huh. you know, the whole Crusher and this young guy romance thing. Right. What if they spin it a little bit? Well, let's keep the guy still gay. He's not into girls. But let's put the da- uh-huh. the Odin symbiont in Crusher. And then... Will they can be together forever? Well, then, well, not only that, but then she's like, okay, now I can be with this guy. And the guy's like, mm, I'm not into girls. No, Bing and then bong. then they take it out of Crusher and put it in him anyways. And Budding bung. I don't know, but obviously he was because he was in that other blonde trill. Right, but he's been yeah. Who knows? Anyways, that was just being stupid. Sorry. That 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 was a joke. I think that was worth a rim shot, and I gave it to you. So. <laughs> but yeah, cool. what if Odan and went into tr- Crusher and then they could be together forever? That's a good idea. And then she could still marry Picard later. It would just be oh my god, the Crusher Odon symbiont. Oh, it would be this. No, oh, that's 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 an uncomfortable three-way. Oh no, um, they can't. 
Be- besides, <laughs> besides, um, I thought the symbiotes do best in trills. Not yeah, I was gonna say not, I don't th- not people don't, from Earth. Yeah, I don't think it, it, it could stay long in a human. Right. I think that was definitely a temporary thing in uh, Riker's in game. Riker. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Nada. All right. So next week we get to finish off this series. I, I am enjoying it, so I'm looking forward to the end. I am too. Have you read ahead? I have not read ahead. Oh, okay. I do not know what's going to happen. Do you? Nope. Okay. Oh, it's excitement. I'm pretty sure the Enterprise will not blow up. That's the only thing I can be sure of. Odds are. Or the Defiant. <laughs> Odds are both. Are, they're probably both well, fine. The Defiance. It could technically blow up. I don't know. I haven't read that many. I haven't read the novels. Ah, <laughs> uh, the defiancy. Uh, so, okay, I think we've talked about this before, but I got to mention it again. Did they change the registry number on the defiant when it was replaced? So in Deep Space Nine, it was it blew up during the Dominion War at one point, right. and then they they brought out another one. Did, uh, is it an A? Did they put an A on there? Or I, I don't think they the did. I I think they kept the registry number the same, but yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I maybe if it's I, the same class ship, they don't need to deal with it. Just just don't even put an A on there. Uh, oh no, the A. Uh, well, they did. what do you mean? Like Never mind. the Enterprise? Never mind. My. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're saying between a sovereign class and a galaxy class, they still. Mm. No, uh, you're right. No, because the between the the non A and the A, that was the same class. Never mind. It was just a refit. You know that was interesting. Okay, so the refit they didn't give it a different number because it was it was the same ship. Same ship. Um, right. But did you know when? Yeah. So I guess they still called it called it a Constitution class. No one right. said they didn't. No. It looked still, the same. Yeah, it's the Constitution. Yeah. Refit. Well, yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. So, uh, so eventually we're gonna have to get back to um, doing a goal key. Yeah, we should get around to that one of these days. Yeah. Yeah. Give another uh, casting call. Perhaps. All right. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> okay. Thanks everybody for joining us on the review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic.com. Second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get